0: Here, here, and now. Here, here, and now. Welcome to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. In the last episode, we covered the first part of our exploration of the psychological principles of influence. We looked at the principle of reciprocation, how we are compelled to repay a debt, even if it costs us more, or if we have no other social bonds with the person who did us the favour. We also talked about commitment, how when we make a pledge or public commitment to a philosophical, political or ideological position, society demands that we maintain consistency toward that position. Then we concluded the episode with a look at the principle of social proof, which is how we tend to act in ways that other people act, even if we don't understand why, as it pays to follow the crowd rather than be an outsider. By understanding principles of human behaviour like these, we can begin to act to thwart their negative influences over our lives and the lives of others. Robert Cialdini's book, Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, goes into great detail about the principles, which I described in the previous and in this episode. But it's really about sales. Most of the examples he cites and the framing he uses to describe the principles are used to explain marketing techniques to help the reader employ them in their business. But that is not the purpose of my speaking about them here. Rather, my intention is to describe these principles so you may be aware of how psychology can work against your best interests. I introduced the last episode by describing the seemingly automatic and intuitive behavior of animals how they are programmed to behave in the ways that they do, as sophisticated and complex as they may be. But they act without conscious, rational thought. They just execute action behaviours. And why, while we have evolved the gift of conscious awareness and the ability to choose paths which are in conflict with our intrinsic motivations, we do this far less often than we would like to give ourselves credit for. And marketing experts, psychologists and salespeople know this well. It is therefore our challenge as conscious thinking individuals to be aware of our behavior and our decisions and to understand why we do what we do. This may be a futile task, we have evolved this way for a reason after all, but the ability to be mindful of our behavior is a gift which we should not take for granted. It is a gift which we can use to make life better for ourselves and others and that which we ignore at our own peril. So let's continue exploring the principles of influence with the principle of liking. Like many of the others, this one sounds obvious. We are attracted to people we like, and when we like someone, we are more likely to be influenced by them. That is not exactly a revelation. But it is important to understand why we like someone, and there are a few reasons. We might look at the world today, the things we value, and the way society has evolved to idolise certain individuals. And it is obvious that we like beautiful people. The smiling faces of attractive people have adorned every form of media for generations. But this goes beyond simply sex cells. We literally like attractive people more just because they are attractive. Attractive people enjoy something known as the halo effect. Because of their attractiveness, we are more likely to overlook other less desirable traits and over-inflate other ones. For instance, when we look at an attractive person We rate them as more honest, trustworthy, caring and intelligent than others we would rate as less attractive. And this is just based on appearance alone. We associate their attractiveness with other totally unrelated positive traits. There are obvious advantages for attractive people. They are more likely to get interviews, to be hired, to be promoted, to be elected and to be successful. We might reject this idea that we could be so shallow, but unfortunately, research consistently shows that the most attractive people are more likely to be successful, and this can be measured in tangible metrics like salary. Yes, attractive people are more likely to earn higher wages than others doing similar jobs. That might rankle a little bit, but what is more disturbing is that attractive people do better in the legal system as well. An attractive defendant, for instance, is more likely to be given a more lenient sentence and by a significant margin. Rob Hollier of the Law Project found that fines issued by judges were up to 304% less for attractive people and prison time was 174% less. The good news is verdicts are generally not influenced by attractiveness. Both judges and juries find a defendant guilty or not guilty, irrespective of their perceived level of attractiveness. But if you are found guilty, how attractive you are will have a major impact on the sentence that you get. You might be thinking, sure, it's no stretch to imagine that a man is going to be more lenient towards an attractive woman. It's the cliche of the police officer pulling over the blonde and letting her off with just a warning. But females are also susceptible to the principle of liking. They too will be more lenient to what they perceive to be an attractive male. But liking is not just about attractiveness we also tend to naturally like those who are similar to us. In general terms, that means culturally, but it can also be very specific, right down to social behavior and mannerisms. We feel more comfortable with people we understand and can easily empathize with. As so much of communication is non-verbal, the more we can transmit and understand through our social interactions, the more quickly and easily we can establish mutuality and trust which together influence whether we like someone or perhaps need a little more time, or maybe a lot. These types of behavioural similarities are influenced by our environmental culture and not necessarily ethnicity, although it is no surprise that the more similar we are to others in very personal ways like religion or political views, style and preferences, the more likely we are to like that person. And these factors all compound to influence practical aspects in life, like how receptive we are to others and perhaps even the likelihood of receiving help when we need it through the attenuation of the bystander effect. The opposite is also true. If you remember back to episode 20, the same but different, I talked about the Israeli and Palestinian boys who had been raised to hate each other, but after they spent a day playing together, their hatred vanished. They knew they were different from each other ideologically, and their differences had been emphasised by their environments for their entire lives. So naturally, they disliked each other. But once they found common ground, which was football or soccer in this case, they realised they were actually pretty similar. They were just young boys after all, and they began to like each other. In recent years, we have seen rising nationalism and resentment between nations, and in many cases, within nations. We fear what we don't understand. We dislike things that are different to what we like, to our normal. And from this rises negative behaviours like xenophobia, and racism. Yet even small similarities between people have a powerful influence, leading to liking and the establishment of mutual respect and trust. These may exist simply in the shared challenges of life, but they can also be found in shared commitment to tasks. For decades, the former Soviet Union and the United States were locked in a Cold War characterized by suspicion and one upsmanship, the nuclear arms race, and the space race. When Neil and Buzz landed on the moon, it was hard to imagine that a few years later, American astronauts would be sharing a space station with their Soviet counterparts. But in 1975, that is exactly what happened when an Apollo capsule docked with the Soviet Soyuz, and the astronauts met cosmonauts in low Earth orbit. While the Cold War raged on, the vast team of scientists and engineers at both space agencies continued to cooperate and focus on their shared interest in establishing a permanent presence in space. Today, the International Space Station orbits the Earth and has been home to a continual presence of Russian and US spacefarers for over 20 years, along with a lot of other nationalities. Despite cultural and political differences, the dedication to a furtherment of human exploration has achieved remarkable feats in science and technology, demonstrating the power of the principle of liking. And while the principle of liking may be obvious in the glitz and glamour of Hollywood, Instagram, and other false and shallow representations of human connection, it is most important in our understanding of our neighbors, whether just over the fence or across oceans. We must focus on our similarities, and they exist between all of us, and remember that these lead us to like each other. That is a powerful influencer of behavior. The next principle of influence has been very noticeable in 2020. I first noticed it back in February when the coronavirus began to emerge in China and Asia. Where I live in Hong Kong, the response was swift and verging on panic. Hong Kongers have long memories, and since I've lived in the city, many of those who have been there long enough to remember would recollect their experience of living through SARS back in 2002. So it wasn't long and it wasn't surprising before local Hong Kongers put on their masks and moved to a wartime mentality. What was surprising to me was the sudden panic buying that stripped shelves bare. But people weren't after common consumer staples like canned food, packet noodles and pasta. Although that did come later. They were after, of all things, toilet paper. How on earth did that come to be, I wondered. As far as we knew, coronavirus did not impact the digestive system. Toilet paper is a mass-produced item, and let's be frank about it, you don't really need it to live and there are alternative methods as humans throughout the ages would attest if they could speak to us from the past. I was perplexed by the phenomenon and put it down to a quirk of the local culture, and apologies if that is offensive, but I just couldn't explain it any other way. And then something remarkable happened. As the virus began to spread around the world, so too did the panic buying of toilet paper. Toilet paper became a meme within a meme, and everyone I spoke to about it seemed to share my head-scratching. Yet secretly, I suspect many of us were also stocking up. You watch the scenes on TV and the internet of queues of people pushing trolleys laden with toilet paper, and some little switch inside us has flicked. The prickling sensation of panic rises up the back of your neck, and you check the storage cupboard, under the bathroom sink and in the pantry, and notice you're down to your last pack. And before you know it, you too are heading for the paper products aisle, hoping that there will be a couple of packs left for you. You notice your usual brand is sold out, but you take what you can get. And later, as you wince when the rough ply of the abrasive paper sands your most sensitive skin, you overlook the pain, content that you didn't miss out. The principle of influence I'm talking about is scarcity. The less available something is, the more we want it, and we want it bad. It sounds simple enough, as do all of the principles of influence. We want what we can't have, and we have a fear of missing out. But why do we behave this way? Psychologists think it is because of freedom. As humans, we relish our freedom. It is an essential element of human contentment and happiness, and millions have died defending this basic human right over the years. From the age of about two, little humans begin to realize they are unique entities with the freedom to make choices. They resist against the helicopter parents that dictate their every move. They want what they can't have. They take what they want. They go off on their own and get into mischief. These little humans have discovered the taste of freedom and the effect is powerful and lasts a lifetime. Scarcity challenges our freedom. We want to be able to do what we want when we want. When something seems to be unavailable to us, we want it more in order to maintain our freedom to choose. This sounds somewhat ridiculous and maybe even counterintuitive but it has its basis in reactance theory. Joseph Brehm introduced the theory of reactance in 1966. He was an American psychologist, and it describes the unpleasant emotional arousal we feel when our freedoms are challenged. This may emerge from obvious restrictions like rules and regulations that constrain our choices and can result in a rejection of authority and open challenge to such restrictions and up-yours mentality, but it also appears when our choices are restricted, like in our freedom to buy toilet paper. Such a fundamental human instinct is powerful and leads us to act irrationally. We shout at the television, we shake our heads, we just can't understand how people can be so selfish to hoard toilet paper and other products, despite supermarket executives assuring us that there's plenty to go around, or political leaders urging us to be kind and considerate to each other. But the drive to maintain our freedoms is a strong one indeed, perhaps the strongest and we make our decisions based not on facts, but on our emotions. The coronavirus pandemic has given us many examples of reactance theory, not only our hoarding of toilet paper. Public health professionals and political leaders have issued guidelines and recommendations, and in some cases, mandatory orders to prevent the spread of the disease. Stay-at-home orders, social distancing, home isolation, that tell us to wear face coverings and masks, and so on. And every time an order is issued, people don't know what to do with themselves. They are fearful and anxious for many reasons, and so most of us do respond obediently to these edicts. But after a while, our patience wears thin. First individuals, then communities, cities and entire states and nations have grown weary and frustrated. The challenges to their freedoms are just too much and for too long. So people begin by holding toilet paper, and end by protesting against their loss of freedom. And somewhere along the way, we forgot why we are doing these things. We simply figured it didn't matter enough to pay such a high price. During the COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen the principle of scarcity influence not just our shopping behaviour, but also our sense of freedom, as if freedom itself was in short supply. And to be fair, whether rightly or wrongly, it has been, and in 2020, most of us have never experienced anything like it in our lifetimes, which makes a fitting seg into the final principle of influence, authority. I've been hinting at it throughout this episode, from the way we look up to those we find attractive, the sex and status symbols of our many vicarious outlets, to the advice and reassuring guidance of the infectious disease experts and health professionals They've told us how to behave to protect ourselves and our families from an an invisible enemy that seems to be hunting us down one by one. And as much as we value our freedom, we also respect the social conventions of authority. Something as simple as a uniform commands respect beyond the individual or even the title. And this carries with it its own dangers for humanity, as we have seen in the episode on obedience, where I talked about Stanley Milgram's infamous experiments in which subjects would have delivered lethal electric shocks only because a man in a white coat told them to. Yes, we are easily influenced by what others are doing and what others do for us or what we think of them. But we are also influenced by people who just tell us what to do if we think they have the right to do so. This is ironic in many ways. As we have just discussed, when our freedoms are challenged, we resist in ways which are often not in our best interests. However, if we trust and respect the figure issuing the orders, then we willingly comply, up to a point, a point which may be too late for the victims of our blind obedience. But the principle of authority need not be so obvious as how we look up to those with titles in a uniform. It is also ingrained in the structures of society which serve to marginalise and repress. We can see this quite simply in the attitudes of society toward men and women, And it helps to use a simplistic example, which may be an anachronism. I hope it is, but it probably isn't yet. Men have traditionally dominated the workplace. Many professional roles are filled by men. Women have had a hard time of it, even though today we see more women in leadership positions or roles traditionally filled by men than ever before. But society hasn't just given up its norms, as offensive as they might be. Each victory by woman in the workplace has been hard won, and the battle is ongoing. Perhaps it's something inherent to femininity, or the nurturing nature of woman, and the way we think of our mums, but we tend to see men as authority figures, and this gives them influence they didn't necessarily earn, or deserve. We know this to be a falsehood. History is replete with powerful women who have commanded armies and nations, yet our psychology is hard to overcome. If I describe to you a famous study by Dr. Smith, do you immediately envisage a man or a woman? Or if I ask you to describe your image of an astronaut, what features would spring to mind? Would you be telling me about the long flowing hair of a woman or the short cropped hair of a man? These stereotypes are hard to shake and they are as inherent to our present mode of thinking as our respect for authority and the influence that it commands. So we've come to the end of this brief exploration of the six principles of influence described by psychologist Robert Giardini. I hope you have found this interesting and enlightening, and perhaps these episodes will give you pause for thought in the future. We are instinct-driven animals, just like all of the others, even though we have the tremendously powerful gift of conscious awareness and control over our choices. But as with most things in psychology, our choices fall across a spectrum, Where we act for reasons we cannot explain, we're driven by emotion and instinct. The brains of humans have three distinct divisions. The forebrain, which consists of the neocortex or cerebrum, where cognition and conscious thought takes place. The midbrain, which is the home of the limbic system, where a lot of emotional processing occurs. And the hindbrain, where our most basic functions for survival occur. It's often referred to as the reptilian brain after the four F's of feeding, fighting, fleeing, and well you can figure out the last F. The principles of influence are triggered in these deep regions of the brain, which came along evolutionarily long before the cortex. So it's no surprise that we are easily influenced by certain triggers, we are fighting against millions of years of evolution after all, but the cortex is by far the largest part of our brain, so if we put our minds to it, we can outthink our primal instincts. And as I've said many times in this podcast, knowledge of the world and how we work within it can empower us to move beyond things which seem inevitable. The term human nature implies that it is just the way it is, but it doesn't have to be. Make your freedom count by making choices that are in your best interest and in the interest of others. By succumbing to the principles of influence, you are giving up control over your life and your freedom to make good decisions. So question everything. Take nothing for granted and use your life to have a positive influence. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Here and Now podcast or Twitter at Here Now podcast. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast to keep up to date with all of our latest episodes and be sure to give us a rating at the Apple Podcasts app. You can reach out to me via the pages or at the email, email theherandow at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.